Derek Wetmore has joined the stage. Speaking of big sexy, Derek Wetmore is in the house from 1500ESPN.com and the Touch Em All oh. podcast. Uh, we got an email explaining why I got put in my place. Cologne. I've got it right here. Yeah, is this Trisha, the- Trisha oh. s- sent me this. Uh, Bartolo Colon's uh, for Players Weekend, his nickname was Morales. This one is actually one that upset some fans because, like I said, Big Sexy would have been the perfect nickname on the back of his jersey. To quote Stephen A. Smith, however, the jersey name was a tribute to Bartolo's late mother, Adriana Morales. In other words, I ripped him for doing something that was in tribute of his dead mom. So I I I take it back. I back off. I saw a different explanation here from Bill via email that Bartolo couldn't use Big Sexy because it's trademarked. Uh, and there was another trademarked one, too, that someone oh. wanted Birdman, but Birdman is trademarked, either the song or okay. I'm not sure. So, uh, well, I feel Derek, I didn't know you had bad. Big Sexy trademarked. Yeah, I actually got ahead of the curve on that one. Okay. And uh, sorry, Bartolo, but we can talk if you want to do like a royalties deal or something. He's got enough money, he could probably, <laughs> he probably buy the, the rights ever. from you. So um, let's just start with the, the, the obvious here. Byron Buxton is a grown man at the plate now. He has figured things out since July 1st. He's well into the 300s. It's like a 350 batting average and a 390 on base. He had three home runs yesterday. And if this is the player that the Twins, it's like the, the Twins were able to, in MLB the show video game, to just create a player with 100 attributes, yeah, like 100% right. in each attribute, and plug him in during a playoff race. That's what's happening right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. Well, and this is why he was so exciting, even when he wasn't hitting well at the plate, because he had this potential. You saw it in the minor leagues. He was playing great defense, and you're like, ah. So he's got these 100 attributes all the way up across the board, and the contact attribute is like 15. Yeah. 15 out of 100. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, But man. the air conditioning attribute was very high, <laughs> if standing could, within 10 feet of his bat. Honestly, if you could just bring that contact rate up, it sounds so simple. I know it's not that easy hitting in, uh, in the major leagues, but if you could just crank that contact up a little bit, Boy, the potential that he had. He showed some of it in September. He saw the power. He saw the speed. He saw the defense. He saw the arm. Everything was there for Byron Buxton. And this year, he's now, since I think it's like since July 1st or something like that, yeah. that he's hitting 344, yep. getting on base, hitting for power, mashing extra base hits, and running around the bases. You add all that to the great defense, and you're legitimately talking probably one of the best players in baseball. What is your, I mean, th- this is an incredible hot stretch right now, but what is yeah. your feeling that he has turned a definite corner here? Because we we saw last September and said, right. wow, that's great, but it was all, always followed with the word but. But yeah, if but. he can do it. I feel like this has gone on long enough where now you don't necessarily go into spring training 2018 with a yeah, but. You go in with a, he might not stay that hot, but I'm confident he's turned a corner. Yeah, I think I'm still a little too early to say that yet. He's, we're talking about 150 plate appearances or so, and that's close to what you know you would have seen in uh, in a month or so stretch. I'm not quite ready to say he's definitely a superstar, but like the promise is so much closer now. I think I think if you were to say he's a superstar in February, people would have said like, eh, maybe. If you would have said he's a superstar on May 15th, people would have said, you're out of your mind. And I think if you say he's a superstar now, people will start to nod along and say, yeah, okay, you might be right. There is something there. And here's the difference between last September and what he's doing right now, Judd. He posted great numbers last year. Uh, in the final month of the season, he had the home runs. 
He was also still playing great defense. But there was this underlying thing that always kind of bugged me. This whole winter when we talked about Byron Buxton, he was still swinging and missing a lot. His contact rate still wasn't very good. He would, you know, get himself into two strike counts. I think he was striking out in like 33 or 34%. I mean, basically one out of three times up to the plate, he was striking out and still posting great numbers. Now that's fine if you're a slugger, if you're the Miguel Sanos of the world, the Aaron Judge. If you're going to strike out like that and, and have the power to come with it, that's fine. Mm-hmm. It bothered me for Byron Buxton because I think he has to be more of a quote-unquote hitter, really, than just sort of an all-or-nothing slugger. And now, in this current hot stretch, as we're calling it, he's not striking out nearly as much. If it was one out of three last time, it's less than one in four times up to the plate now. I think it's like 22%, I want to say. go. I'd have to go back and look at those numbers, but the point is just that it's no longer and all or nothing, and sometimes he gets his hits, otherwise he's striking out. He's putting the ball in play, he's using his lightning speed, and the power's coming along, too. He's, he's really become more of a complete hitter than what we saw last year. I want to highlight a potential team feel-good story here in a second, but I forgot to do this at the top. Intern Charlie is going to come out. If you're sitting in the audience, we have a ton of free food from Chipotle to give away throughout the show, and a bunch of free t-shirts from Pronto Pup, so if you want free Chipotle or free t-shirts from Pronto Pup, just come talk to intern Charlie down here, and uh, and he can hook you up. Or if you just want, like, a foot rub, too. Intern Charlie is <laughs> is pretty much here for all of your your needs. It looks like we got some takers on that foot yeah. rub. Oh, yeah. yeah, especially the, yeah, that guy. Um, so 1987 was, and I was two years old, and Derek, you were just, you weren't even a conversation over drinks yet. Probably a little premature. Yeah. <laughs> But, um, but that was the ultimate baseball feel-good story in this state's history, where you had a collection of talent that had mostly been losing in the 1980s, and you had the old veteran pitchers. Uh, Steve Carlton was on the team, and Burp Lylevin, and, and they wind up just squeaking into the playoffs and then knocking off a couple teams that they probably had no business knocking off. I would argue... If this team were to continue the momentum and Bartolo Colon was one of your playoff starters at age 44 and Byron Buxton hits the gas pedal and doesn't look back and you have kind of this makeshift bullpen of minor leaguers and Matt Belial and whoever's left in this bullpen... That, and I, I don't think this team's going to win the World Series. The Dodgers aren't going to – the Dodgers ain't losing four games and seven to, to this team. But, uh, but that would truly be – even just getting to the playoffs and maybe even winning a round – would be one of the best stories in Twins history. Well, not, would. not only were we all selling them short and saying, ah, this isn't the year, wait another year. You and you and I, Judd, were the king of that this winter. We're talking about, eh, this team could be a little more interesting than the one that well, lost thought, 103 games, I but be awful. call me in 2018. And, and, and you know what? The one thing I will give them is this. Good for good for them, but we need to go back to the fact that they're taking advantage of the fact the American League's not good. Yeah. And good for them. But if you look at this wild card race, you go to Chicago. Chicago is awful. Chicago is cashed in the season. And you lose, what, three of five, but you're just good enough to keep your head above water, and the Angels and Mariners lose just enough, and yeah. good for the Twins. Right. I'm not trying to take a thing away, but this is the perfect type of year where you get that opportunity to hold on to that second wild card spot yeah. because of it. But still, I mean, you yeah. still have to win the games. You're still doing it with mostly a That's young core. Saying. You're yeah. doing it with pitchers that haven't established themselves. You're getting something out of Bartolo Colon after it looked like he was washed up. That's the interesting thing to me is that not only were us uh, you know, negative media types writing off this season, I've talked to a lot of fans on either my Facebook page or on Twitter who said, 
2018 is the year. Let's just figure out what we got. 2017, nothing's going to happen. Yep. Not only all that, the front office basically said that by their actions, by not going to get a lot of guys this winter to load up for a playoff run, by not adding more at the trade deadline, and then selling a week later after they traded for Jaime Garcia. Garcia. Been bad. Yeah, Jaime Garcia gets sent out of town. The Twins cash in a couple of pitching prospects. They send their closer out of town on a questionable bullpen to begin with. So you look at the moves on the surface, and the front office was basically saying, I don't think this is the year. We don't have a chance. Let's load up for the future. And the players in the clubhouse have taken that as sort of a challenge and said, And good for them. Screw it. Good for them. I'm not going to take that as the answer. Yep. Uh, Have you guys seen... By the way, now Kinsler got traded to a contender, so yeah. it's good for, for him. Have you seen what's being done to him, though? Sure, he, yeah. He's being dustied. Yeah. Dusty Baker, who could not manage a bullpen. Well, he's 32 and a free agent. Yeah. Prime candidate okay, to be exactly run into right. the ground. Okay, but but Washington went, and I believe they got three. They got Doolittle, Kinsler, and somebody else. Ryan Madsen. And, okay, and Doolittle, as far as their closer, has been fantastic. But Dusty, God bless his heart, has decided he wants to get Kinsler to 30 saves. So Friday night, I believe they reversed it. It's Doolittle set the game up. Kinsler came in to close. Guess what happened? Yeah. Kinsler blew the save. This is a poor, poor Dusty. If he means well or not when it comes to pitching, the man can bleep things up beyond belief. Well, especially, yeah, with the pitching staff and you talk about overuse. And I, I do think that there are a lot of managers now. And this is maybe something you could criticize Paul Molitor for, Neil Allen, Eddie Gordado, whoever's sort of running that, is like the workload has been kind of questionable at times, the way that you're using relievers. And and frankly, the fact that the Twins are getting by with the talent that they have, I actually think that's a credit to the coaching staff, but you still do look at some of the the in-game decisions or some of the overall usage. Brandon Kinsler, for as great of a guy as he is, he's not on on a World Series caliber team. Unlike, but besides the Nationals, I guess he's not a guy that you're going to frequently see in the ninth inning. He well, is. He won't be with the Nationals. No, I either. know he'll be a middle of the bullpen kind of guy, and that's who he would be. And with the Twins, he was their best reliever. It was hands down, closer's yeah. job is yours, never in question yeah. until the day that he was traded. So I just kind of keep looking at that and saying, "Wow, this this team is sort of you could consider the whole team at large an afterthought." But a lot of the players that make it up, including some of the younger guys who are now coming into their own, sort of afterthoughts. I don't think they were national storylines at all at any point, besides Miguel Sano. And the fact that they've sort of cobbled that whole thing together and had a 500 record or better and are right there currently sitting in a wild card spot. It's an incredible story, and to Phil's point, like no matter what happens in the postseason, if they were to get to the postseason, I think you know, this is one of the better feel-good twin stories of the last yeah. uh, at least 10, 15 years. Another guy, too, Judd and I talked in uh, one of our segments like two hours ago about that second wave of players. So if you're if you're going to win a World Series eventually, you obviously need the superstar. Yeah. So you need Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo, and you need John Lester. Like, you sure. need those, and you need a closer. But then if the Cubs didn't have that second wave of – Javier Baez, Addison Russell, that's the, the, the Carl Schwarber Jr., Kyle World Schwarber. Series. And for the Twins, to see Jorge Polanco in that second wave and Ed Rosario in that second wave, and Max Kepler has been a lot better in the last couple months, that right there is – they're not going to get national headlines, but that's the wave that's going to get you to the playoffs. That's the wave that's going to help get you to division championships again and maybe getting to a World Series. You're going to laugh at me for saying this, but the lineup itself – is not necessarily a lineup you want to see in October if you're an opponent. Now, 
I agree. You can pick if Nitz Miguel with Sano's a in it, I agree. Yes. You got Joe Maurer back to kind of the old Joe Maurer in a lot He's of ways. He's been great. Eddie Rosario has been a dangerous hitter all mm-hmm. season. Yes, Byron. this Byron Buxton. That's right. I mean, there, you don't see very many. You could poke holes in it and say, well, catcher, you're not getting much out of Okay, well, fine. Granted, it might not be the best lineup in baseball, but I think it's in the conversation. I think it's at least in that sort of top third of MLB offenses. Now, where you can really take exception the pitching staff are you going to keep getting this from kyle gibson are you going to keep getting this from bartolo Colon? what's the bullpen situation looking like you know if you go into the postseason who are the four guys you're counting on to really be lights out for you i think you can still take exception with all those things with this twins team but in terms of one through nine offensively the lineup really hard to find an area to criticize them for right now. House money, boys, though. It's and house money. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's they, a 103-loss team that nobody... They just got to the, to the NFL season, for God's sake. I mean, sake. We're, we're about to be joined by a guy up here on stage who, if you gave him a big thing of truth serum, would say, I'm shocked. Sure. I mean, Derek Falvey yeah, would, I mean, yeah. would say, His I mean, everybody, the trade deadline yes, here's how, everybody would admit Here's how I think shocked. he'd say it. And good for them. And, and I'm not going to put words into his mouth. We can ask him, but I think he viewed this whole thing as there's like a range of possible outcomes. Sure. Like, okay, worst case scenario, we're like a, like a 90 loss team or something like that. Best case scenario, we're flirting with the playoffs all the way through September. I think this has got to be at the very top end of what his possible expectations could have been for this And season. to your point, though, there was a time where you basically said, okay, it's done. It's probably That's done. Right. I put and a your fork players in are like, no, it's not. I put a fork in him twice. But, you know, good for the players. And, you know, I, I, and this is, hey, Brian Dozier, I, I think we even said at the uh, during our training camp broadcast, we did. make me put my foot in my mouth, but you sound like an idiot having ranked like 110th in the league in slugging at the time of the trade deadline. And you're criticizing the front office. If you had hit the way that you did last year in the first half, they'd be buyers. And to his credit, he's been awesome since the trade deadline. He's made you put your foot and that's all the way in as your mouth. As he should. Yeah, as right. he should. That's 100%. Right. Um, one, one last thing here, and then we're going to get Derek Falvey, twin CBO, on the stage. We're going to take a quick break and, uh, and get him up here. But one last question, 60 seconds or less. Sure. Kyle Gibson's been good two starts in a row. Anomaly, or has he figured something out? Two starts ago, he missed 17 bats, 17 swinging strikes, yeah. which is by far a season high. So I have to see more from Gibson. His M.O. in the past has been kind of ground ball guy. He's not going to get a lot of strikeouts. He's not going to miss a lot of bats. But he could help keep his ERA down just because ground balls aren't very dangerous, especially the way the Twins have been playing defense lately. Now, if the infield defense starts to wane, I think that hurts Gibson. But if he's legitimately taken that next step and gotten to the point where his numbers are now starting to match his stuff, which I always thought was better than his numbers had shown. You can only say that for so long, though, until it's just, yeah, he is who he is at this point. I think it's been encouraging for Gibson the last couple of starts, and I- I'm curious to see more the rest of the way. All, all I know is since a certain columnist basically said, show him the door, Gibson came back, and he's actually been sort of mad, This too. team just takes the challenges, I, I, I guess. Like, no, no, no. But, awesome. but, but what drove me crazy about him previously was he would, like, there'd be a hit, and he would look all affected. Like, oh, how did that happen? The last two starts, he's actually pitched with, with an edge guy. that he didn't have before. That's so good. Yeah. Uh, let's come back here. Twins CBO Derek Falvey will join us to close out the show, to close out the Garage Logic pregame show, because <laughs> those guys are going to be up here from 1 o'clock until 3 o'clock. We are Mackie and Judd. That's Derek Wetmore from 1500. <laughs> ESPN.com and the Touch em All podcast, and we shall return in just a couple minutes. But let's give it up for Twins CBO Derek Falvey up here 
the guy who waved the white flag on July 31st, didn't believe in the team, and here they are. Have you seen the movie Major League? Do they have a cardboard cutout of you and Thad in the clubhouse? I hope so. I hope so. Is, <laughs> like, right? you know, like a Speedo or something. <laughs> um, but what a crazy month it's been. I mean, like I, Judd and I agreed that you can't seven games back in the division and multiple teams to call over. You got you have to trade. And, um, and the team kind of said, no, we're not ready to roll yeah. over and be done this season. And here you guys are, a game and a half up with that second wild card. Yeah, I, I think when we think back to, to July, and I felt this way then, I still feel this way now, was that we had opportunities to, to add some players to the system that we thought would help us moving forward you know, in the future. We have to keep one eye on the future and one eye on the present at the same time. I would say that we never approached the deadline looking at this team as you know, going to quit, going into the second half. In fact, I viewed this team as maybe the best next-man-up mentality team that I've seen, that I've been around. And I've been around some teams that really embodied that. And our guys at the deadline you know, jumped up. The guys who came up, the young players, have impacted us across the board. I feel like we are our bullpen's pitched as well as it's pitched you know, from, from the deadline on. So I'm confident that this group is going into every night's game, uh, putting forth the best effort. And as a result, now we're sitting in a really nice position. So going way back, when, when you took this job and, and, then, uh, and then Thad came aboard, what did you expect? I mean, this team had lost 103 games. You said at the time they're not that bad, but you're also probably not thinking playoff. I mean, in the dead of winter, what was your expectation? When we look at this team, we talked about it a lot in spring training, about uh, two things, that we felt there was real young talent on this team, that the upside and the growth and development is not always linear. The, the, some guys grow a little bit more quickly than others. Some have an impact. You know, it takes a bit more time. You see some ups and downs. Uh, we've experienced both of those, You know, guys that really accelerated their impact right away. Miguel Sano, for example, is someone who really impacted us from the day he got up here. Jose Barrios, after having established the changes he needed to establish in AAA from the day he got up here and moving forward has impacted us. And then Byron Buxton, on the other end, who struggled at the beginning of the year. No question. He'd be the first to tell you that. But when he looks at you know the year, his consistent approach to the work with James Rousen and Rudy Hernandez and otherwise has allowed us to get to this position. So to get back to your question about you know, where we viewed this team, I just I don't believe in setting limits on a club. I think that a culture can exist that elevates the play, you know, that uh, that gets guys a little bit higher uh, than than you might expect going into the year. But we felt there was talent that could that could achieve something special moving forward, and we still feel that core is is building and growing toward the future. Yeah, Derek, you talk about that that culture and sort of that special sauce that mm-hmm. tough to quantify. You were around a Cleveland team last year that really seemed from the outside looking in like they had that. They carried that all the way to the World Series. Uh, is there any, as a numbers guy, as somebody with analytics in mind, is there anything that you do to sort of pay attention to that and get it down on paper? Or is it just here are the numbers and here's how we think we blend it? Like, like how do you do that combination? It's, it's, it's challenging, no question. I don't, think, I don't think you're ever going to have metrics that speak to the character and the makeup of a clubhouse. Sure. Just, it's just not, uh, it's too hard. But what I do think is that you can, you can find players that are going to be leaders, that can impact a clubhouse in a, in a way that uh, goes beyond just their contribution on the field. And we felt like this year, we, we did set out through the course of free agency to find players that fit that kind of mindset. So whether it was Matt Belial, who's impacted us all year in a, in a leadership capacity, or, uh, or someone like Craig Breslow, who was with us for a period of time and, and, and impacted us in different ways beyond just what he did on the field, to what we did at the catcher position. We felt like that's a key leadership position, and in Jason Castro and Chris Jimenez, we, we've added guys there that could help us. That just supplemented a core of players, you know, the Brian Dozers, the Joe Mowers, the others who've been successful at this level to help grow that young group that we're talking about sure. right now. With 
with with Byron Buxton, it's it's as if, and I, I hate when people make the argument like player comes off the DL, and it's like you traded for so and so, but. It is almost like from July 1st on to this point that you added one of the best players in baseball with his defense in center field, and the guy is hitting like 350 with a 400 on base since July 1st or July 3rd. We looked up the numbers, uh, and it legitimately is like an MVP is now hitting in the middle of the Twins lineup. And so can you explain why he is finally realizing, at least in this short sample, his full potential? We, we always talk, you guys know, about the immense upside and talent that he has. I mean, the ability to affect the game both defensively, which we knew I mean, he's been doing from day one here, but also offensively, that when it all clicked offensively, he'd have a chance to impact us in the middle of the lineup. Now, uh, should, would we all have wished that came on April 1st? Certainly. But we recognize Sometimes it doesn't come until the guy's 30 years old. Like, Justin Absolutely. Smoke is 30. No question. So I think, you know, by and large, if you look at some of the, the metrics and look at players that progress, that 700 to 1,000 plate appearance number is really the area where you start to see a, a major league player stabilize on the offensive side into what you think he might be. And, and, again, to your point, some guys still grow much later on in their careers. But what I'll say is that Early on in the season when Buck was struggling, we, certain, we looked at him as somebody who we, want, we asked the question, is he consistent with his work? Is he going about the work with James Rousen and Rudy Hernandez in a way that would allow him to continue to progress? And he was. And so we, we were confident we were going to stand behind him and to continue to do that work. If we hadn't seen that, maybe we would have considered you know, sending him sending down to the minor leagues. But that wasn't the case. As far as, as Paul goes, uh, what, where does the decision stand at right now because i mean he's certainly been a good soldier he's done a fantastic job if you are going to make a change he's made it very difficult to make that change so where where do we stand right now as far as his future goes we've looked we've looked at it this way that we when we talk about player contracts staff contracts front office contracts for that matter for for some of our guys we want to make sure that we are focused on what's most important which is today what's on the field and what's happening now we'll address that at an appropriate time for sure and i recognize that there's interest in that conversation now but we feel like right now the best focus is on what's happening on the team uh, on the field right now and our clubhouse has done a great job doing that what two, two part question regarding the managerial position what is the most important thing or two or three things um, for a strong relationship between front office and manager in today's baseball climate. And I guess to, to Paul, I mean, Paul in age is an old-school baseball guy, but he's always seemed like an open-minded, uh, more new age. He's sort of like 60 going on 48 in some ways. So can you just speak to the most important qualities between front office and, and manager? I, I think, you know, if you... Every, every team has a different dynamic, right? And there's not one successful blueprint to that. But at the core is, is trust and communication. That would be the case in any job, whether it's manager, front office, or what you guys are doing here. You know, day I don't in, trust day Judd out. at all. We don't trust each other, but that's a professional. But, sure, but yeah, beside yeah. that, <laughs> beside you too. But I, I think that you know, that's, that's critical. And understanding and an open-mindedness to what you just talked about, you know, using new metrics, new ideas, that we don't have this game just figured out you know, by just ourselves right now. So I, I'm confident that that's the type of environment we are building throughout the minor leagues, through our scouting group, and and again at the major league environment. Uh, Derek, when you guys signed Bartolo Colon to a minor league deal, it was kind of seen as a low wattage move. I mean, he struggled in Atlanta, but I remember you said at the time you'd seen some things that maybe his performance was better than his 8.14 ERA, and I'm sure some people heard that and said, okay, oh, we'll see it. six and a half. He yeah, still sucked. Right. Yeah, we'll, we'll see it when, or I'll believe it when I see it. He's 44 years old. He might just be out of gas. 
What did you see that we didn't see in well, Bartolo? I, we talked about it a little bit at that time that there are some underlying peripherals you know, that weren't that dissimilar to when he was pitching at his best in his career. Uh, and, and so we didn't necessarily, or certainly over the last couple of years, maybe not his best years. Sure. But I do think that when, when you look at small samples of a, of a given season, some things can go your way you know, from a luck standpoint, and some things can go against you completely. And I think in Bartolo's case, he had a string of some starts there in Atlanta where nothing seemed to go right, whether it was strand rate or otherwise. Now, certainly he's bounced back some here. Uh, and, and what I, I don't think we anticipated, although Irvin Santana cued us up to this a little bit, was that his impact on the clubhouse, on some young pitchers, you know, on guys that are around, his just steadfast commitment to each and every day going out and competing until the manager goes and takes the ball out of his hand, that's helped guys like Jose Barrios and Adelberto Mejia and other young pitchers who are trying to establish themselves at the major league level. Well, that's also kept you guys in a postseason race. Absolutely. You've got that's a viable starter now. No to the uh, column that appeared last week about Miguel's weight, uh, my takeaway is this. He is a big man. He is a left tackle, basically. <laughs> there is not going to be a day that goes by that the Twins, whether it be Terry or you or Thad, aren't going to be concerned about his weight because he's not going to come back at 175 ever. Okay. Uh, is, is it a is, Does the concern go beyond that? Or is it just a daily concern that he's going to ha- have to keep his weight in check, and as he ages, it's going to be an issue on a daily basis? Sure. I, I think that Thad had a good line. He said if they played more football in the Dominican Republic than baseball, <laughs> I think he'd be in the NFL. He might be playing for the Vikings. It's a defensive end. Yeah, yeah. He is. He's a big man. I mean, that's, that's, that's his baseline is going to be larger than, than most players in baseball. But I think he knows commitment to keeping himself strong and in shape is important. Uh, he did a great job, we felt like, this offseason. Season in, in managing that and putting himself in a good position. As any young player ages, body is a is a clear consideration, and certainly one with maybe a little bit more weight than the average player is going to uh, going to have to manage. But we're confident that he's he's sensitive to that and, and wants to put in the work each and every year and off season. I would say this particular injury, I, I would not say it was related to to the weight. Could it have had some impact? It, there's no, I can't say that. I'm not a medical professional in that way. But I do think that he's gone about his work tirelessly this year, you know, whether it's what he's doing in the weight room, in the clubhouse, what you guys don't see when he's on the field, but also what he's doing at third base to continue to put himself in a position to be a, a, a good defender there. So I'm confident he's, he's got the same goals we have. Uh, we have about two minutes left here uh, until we have to take a break and get to Garage Logic with Derek Falvey, Twin CBO. And, you know, we, Joe Maurer went to first base a few years ago, and all of us figured, oh, okay, now he's, so he's going to be – a good offensive player now until he's going to hit 320 and this is going to be good for his body and we did and, and he was as bad as he's ever been for three years but now he's kind of back to being the old joe in some ways the batting average the on base so um you know what what can you say about joe and why he has had an uptake for the first time in like four years you no know, i i love i actually really enjoy talking about joe because he's a guy who i think early on when we got here you know there was certainly some focus whatever on past history or or, or contract or otherwise i can tell you joe cares more about the minnesota twins than than almost anybody i mean he he grew up here. He's a he's a twin. He's a Minnesota native. I mean, he cares about this organization, and he works just as hard <laughs> to to get himself on the field each and every day. He did a great job this off season to prepare his body and otherwise to be to be a good defender at first base. I think he's a Gold Glove caliber first baseman right yeah, now. He I should think win it. Yeah. He's impacted our infielders across the diamond, mean, whether it's Miguel or Jorge or Brian. He's helped all those guys uh, each and every day at the position. So I would say that his consistent focus on doing what he needs to do off 
the field to keep his body in a good position as he ages. We talked about Miguel and his weight. Mm -hmm. As any player ages, you need to focus on that. Joe's done a great job of that, and now he's he's one of the key members of, of our offensive production this year. Derek Falvey, Twin CBO, thank you so much for yeah. coming up. Great Thanks. to be with Let's you guys. Give as always. A round of applause, everybody. It.